Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Blank Slate. Today, Teresa and I will be talking about attachment styles, how they show up in romantic relationships, friendships, and any other relationship that you have with other people. So let's jump into it. Let's define some of these terms because I feel like a lot of times these terms get used in everyday language and we really like lose the clinical definition of it. Like the first one I'm thinking of is is codependent, right? We hear this a lot of like, I don't want to be needy. I don't want to be clingy. I don't want to be codependent. That's bad. But really, you know, being codependent is not like being clingy or being needy. It really feels like your emotions are tied, like your like your partners or your friends' ups and downs are your ups and downs, and you really assume their emotions, and it's really hard to separate between the two of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time people use these terms like needy, clingy, codependent in a way that's not actually clinical, in a way that's actually mm-hmm. used to hurt others or to shame them for having regular needs in a regular relationship kind of thing and so codependent can also look like like needing the other person to validate your emotions if you're having a bad day they need to be right there with you they need to be the one that fixes it so that your emotions like don't really have they're not your own they're like the partners like the couples or something like that Definitely. And I feel like codependency even is on a spectrum, right? We have codependent and then more towards the middle, we have interdependent. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have independent. And I feel like all along the way, we kind of want to be in that middle ground, that that interdependency, like we're human beings, we need connection, you know, we want to care for others. And we also need others to care for us. And I think part of keeping us in that sweet spot of interdependency is boundaries, right? Like saying, this is how we can interact comfortably. I agree. I think boundaries are healthy for everyone. It's just kind of saying, this is how I need us to interact again, so that it's safe and comfortable, so that we're not hurting each other, so that I'm still meeting my own outside needs of the relationship and inside the relationship as well. And again, the term codependent, how it's used, like, I think it's a very Western and a little bit of a nuanced, um, like concept because in fact like according to science and research on like the human body humans are codependent we do need each other we we don't exist well like with that extreme independence that radical independence Mm-hmm, definitely. And part of boundaries too, I think, you know, on the flip side, when people want to set a boundary so that they don't feel codependent, they get scared. It's like, you know, I don't want this person to be mad at me. I'm being selfish. It kind of just keeps going from one side of the spectrum to the other. And it's like, you are allowed to need another human being and you are allowed to set boundaries, right? If someone reacts to it, which sometimes people do react to boundaries negatively, it's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of something going on within that person that makes respecting a boundary difficult totally so then let's move into things that impact your attachment style so attachment styles don't exist in a vacuum they don't just develop out of nowhere I think most of the time attachment styles happen you know I think around like zero to seven I think is when we're most impacted in terms of attachment things that can impact attachment can be childhood trauma or just trauma in general that can really shake how you perceive others, how you perceive intimacy, how you perceive yourself, what feels safe and what doesn't feel safe in terms of getting close to others. 
another thing that can impact attachment is culture. So again, we're doing culturally sensitive therapy and treatment. We're not going against the culture that you grew up in, but we are examining how we conceptualize closeness to others within that culture. Exactly. I think another thing about codependency is like, you know, we can use this Western lens to look at cultures that are not, you know, as independent. Look look at collectivistic cultures. You can't say like, oh, you're from a collectivistic culture, you're codependent. It's like, no, we have to take all the information, including the culture, into account. Right. We can't just put a label on it because it looks different. Right. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. And other parts, too, that also impact attachment are like your family of origin, right? Our first primary attachment is typically a parent or whoever our primary caregiver is. And you know, how we interact with them, if our needs are met, if they're attentive, you know, if we have siblings, what those relationships are like, all these familial relationships come together to really shape our attachment in those early years. And even with that, like, where we grow up, what school we go to, what organizations, what clubs we join, and as we get older, like what jobs we even take on, all of these things are going to shape our experiences and shape how we relate to people. Exactly. I'm even thinking of like SES status in terms of did you grow up in a safe neighborhood? Was it safe to even get to know other people? Or was mm-hmm. was your life in danger, perhaps? And that also goes in with trauma. So again, these things are so nuanced, how we develop these attachment styles. Definitely, right? Our socioeconomic status can have a huge impact on that. I think of all the different aspects of our identity, right? Like gender, sexual orientation, SCS, education, all these things. And it shapes us. Of course, like we develop our attachment style very, very early on in childhood, but our life continues to shape us with these experiences and these parts of our identity. And we'll talk a little bit more too about how attachment style can shift and be shaped throughout your life. So there are four main attachment styles. One is anxious, another is avoidant, there is disorganized and secure. What anxious looks like is fear that your partner doesn't want to be as close as you want to be. Um, A lot of sensitivity to small fluctuations in the relationship, easily upset, Um, you often act out or need constant reassurance that your partner still wants to be with you. The relationship probably takes a lot of emotional energy in your life and that you're probably thinking about the relationship a lot. So next we also have avoidant. Um, So anxious can also be referred to as preoccupied and avoidant can be referred to as dismissive if you're also reading about attachment styles other places just so you know those are the other names for these. But essentially an avoidant attachment style this person really values independent and self-sufficiency but it goes even beyond that. There is a fear of closeness. They engage in a lot of these behaviors to keep people distant um, and they really are on edge or on high alert looking for signs that may feel like their partner is encroaching on their independence. Right and so some behaviors of avoidantly attached people can be withholding sex or withholding intimate like acts during sex to keep an emotional distance. There is a something called the phantom X that avoidance do, which is thinking about an X a lot to keep emotional distance from the current partner. There is also thinking about like, oh, this person isn't the one, like the one wouldn't do this. So kind of like um, 
looking a lot at like the details of their partner and being like, that's not acceptable and really hyper-focusing on small things that other people wouldn't normally notice and blowing them up as a bigger deal. Like, uh, if this is my person, they wouldn't have this hangnail kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And then similarly with anxious people, it's kind of the opposite, but also in the same vein where they're like, oh, he didn't text me back a smiley face. That means he's really mad at me today. And then you start like, doing like protest behaviors or like protest behaviors are like withholding communication kind of being like angry passive aggressive it could be calling like 20 times to make sure that the other person isn't mad things like that mm-hmm. right and then we have disorganized or it's also referred to as fearful avoidant which is kind of a combination of both it's a person that wants that comfort wants that reassurance but at the same time has such this deep-rooted fear of intimacy and closeness and so they aren't really soothed with the person or without the person it's just this constant state of like confusion of how to be in relationship with someone right and then secure Um, is having like a secure base to feel safe with other people, but also secure to feel independent. They enjoy intimacy without over worrying about if the person likes them back or if they're in the wrong relationship. They have effective communication. They can communicate their needs, their feelings. They can share successes, problems, and easily, and they can also support their partner easily. Right. And I want to also add this other part of like an earned secure attachment style, right? So a lot of the times we develop our attachment style in our early childhood and we think this is it for life. It's never going to change. And I'll grant you that like a lot of the times attachment styles are stable, but we mentioned a little bit earlier about how life events really shape these attachment styles and how they can shift over time. And so one of them is, going from anxious or avoidant or disorganized to an earned secure attachment style. So this will happen as an adult. You can have an earned secure. And you can develop this in friendships, not even just romantic relationships, right? We have an attachment style in all of our relationships, not just romantic ones. Um, So for instance, like Robin and I, like we both talked about how we had different attachment styles growing up and, you know, going through graduate school together and going through training together and now going on this venture together, we've, we've had to learn a lot about each other. And of course, we're both doing our own work and therapy and all of that. But also, like, we really have been able to trust each other and know that we can be independent and also have support. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So we've been kind of able to attain, like, this earned secure with each other through a friendship. Right. I think this friendship has actually been so transformative on my own attachment Mm -hmm. style. I think it's this and therapy has been like the thing that really changed my attachment style, honestly, and like the other healthy friendships that we've been able to cultivate. And I think also learning about attachment styles, what it looks like and how to move into secure has been so transformative, which is again, why we do this podcast and why we want to provide everyone with access to this information. Absolutely. Like I've even been seeing it come out in my romantic relationship of like my changes in behaviors. I'm just like, whoa, like I really see it generalizing to the other relationships in my life. Yeah, same here. It's so fun to watch, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so there's also something called the dependency paradox. And this kind of goes back to what we talked to and how we're um, kind of trained to think about attachment needs and how we don't want to be codependent. And in Western culture, we're kind of 
taught to be independent. That's the best, the best way of being kind of thing. So what the dependency paradox has taught us, which is that once your needs are met in a relationship, once you feel safe, like what you need in terms of emotional intimacy and even physical safety is met with another person, then you stop thinking about the relationship so much. You don't really worry about it. And then you can be more independent and pursue your own independent needs, hobbies, and et cetera, without relying on the other person very much because you feel safe that they're there. Mm -hmm. And I really want to point out too, like, this is really talking about having that secure base. Right. It's really talking about like, you know, that you have that safety so that you can venture out like that fear of dependency is no more because you feel that security. Right. And so there was like a study back in like the 1920s or 40s that were like, it was like, oh, let your baby cry. You don't want to coddle your baby. You don't want to have like a codependent kid. That was actually completely wrong and disproven later with other psychological studies that know you actually need to meet the baby's needs. Similarly with adults, you need to meet the adult's needs so that they feel safe and secure to be able to venture out confidently, safely, and, and in a healthy way. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think too, like as people grow up, we also notice what attachment styles tend to come together, right? If you're an anxious person, odds are like you'll link up with an avoidant person, mm-hmm. right? It's And it's so funny because like we know it's so opposite, but like in the moment, like this is what we're used to. This is what's familiar. And that, and because it's familiar, that is what feels safe. Right. Anxious and avoidant often unconsciously attract like magnets Mm -hmm. and it's really important to point that out it's most of the time unconscious which is why there's so much value in therapy and even learning about these things through like the education we provide isn't a substitute for therapy because all of these are unconscious processes so the avoidant fear is that someone will encroach on their independence they will somehow lose control over their life through this other person and their quote-unquote neediness The anxious fear is that whatever partner they get with, they won't love them enough. Something will be wrong. Something is lacking in the anxious person that doesn't allow people to love them in the way that they love others. So unconsciously, they seek each other out to prove their worst fears. And they get into this awful kind of cycle often Mm -hmm. in multiple relationships. Definitely. And I really want to emphasize something you said. You said like people seek this out. I think Mm -hmm. that's really important to recognize like – these things are not just randomly happening to us, right? There are unconscious processes that lead us to seek these things out. So I think also one part of like recognizing and learning about our attachment styles in order to shift them is also recognizing that like we are seeking this pattern out because we're getting something from it and that's work to be done in therapy. So we can't just you know, feel like, oh, it's happening to me, like being a victim, we have to realize like, there's a process here I need to deal with. Right. And part of it is learning about attachment styles. Mm -hmm. Part of it is have learning effective communication, learning red flags and green flags, boundaries, Mm -hmm. and etc. So that you're empowered to make decisions to cut people off before it gets into this cycle. Exactly. So there are ways to heal and change your attachment style and move more towards secure. One of these ways is by having effective communication, which means effectively communicating your needs in the relationship. And then if your needs are met, 
great. You can move forward. And if they're not, maybe stepping back from the relationship, loving and caring about yourself enough where you feel secure enough to leave a relationship, knowing that there will be other people out there that care about you. So this can look like effectively communicating your needs again can work for both attachment styles. For anxious people, your needs may be, hey, sometimes you don't answer for long periods of time, like when you're out with your friends or out at work. Like, my need is for, like, to know what you're doing, to know who you're with kind of thing. Maybe in the morning you can tell me what your day's looking like. That might be effectively communicating your need. For avoidant people, we're not demonizing avoidant people, but we are saying, like, maybe talk about it. If you're feeling overwhelmed and needing your own alone time, maybe saying, hey, I'm, I need just some time to myself in this relationship. And this can look like every week setting alone time to, like, do a hobby such as like swimming, riding your bike alone, whatever it is that satisfies your need for independence and effectively communicating that with your partner. Yeah. And these are all things that we can talk about, learn about and practice in therapy, right? Like this is a person who's not judging you, like whichever attachment style you have, there there doesn't have to be guilt or shame attached to it. But therapy can be a really good place to practice these things, like even role playing, like how can I set a boundary? How can I ask for my needs to be met? And another thing that you can do in therapy as well is like learning to cope with that fear. Because really, we talked about this underlying fear, fear of being too close to someone, fear that your partner isn't close enough to you. Whichever way we look at it, there is this fear that eventually we will have to cope with. Right. And I also think in terms of coping with that fear, we need to build our self-love and our self-worth and our comfortableness Mm -hmm. with intimacy that other people might disappoint us, but we love ourselves enough that we're it's not going to make or break us. Yes. And that really goes right along to like resiliency. Like we're going to be able to bounce back from this. We're going to be okay. Right. And that other people will be capable of loving us and meeting our needs. So for example, Teresa and I have a really healthy friendship, Um, but we've also had to leave. I know I have had to leave other unhealthy friendships in order to find and put time into this healthy friendship. And I had to leave unhealthy friendships knowing that there would be other friends out there that would be able to support me and be nice to me. And I didn't, like, stay in those unhealthy friendships out of fear. Right. We really have to be able to step away from, like, the catastrophizing or, like, the black and white thinking of, like, I'll never find another partner. I'll never find another friend. No one will ever love me in the same way. Like, we really have to recognize that the world is not that black and white. There are more possibilities out there. We just have to be willing to face that fear. Right. And have faith in ourselves and love ourselves. And exactly. I think also a big part of that in terms of healing attachment style is even being able to identify red and green flags in relationships. Because what I see a lot is people don't really, they're not able to identify the difference. Like what is a red flag? What is something I should be wary of? What is a mm-hmm. green flag? What is some, what is a sign that someone is secure? Yeah, I think that's not even a thing that people are taught about, right? Like, we only hear about red flags. We don't even hear about the green flags. Mm-hmm. Like if we know the things we don't want, what are the things that we should want mm-hmm. or do want or should be looking for? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So also some people go to therapy wanting to change their partner. So this is a lot of the times what we see in joint therapy, couples therapy. Mm-hmm. So what the point of it is, is, again, effective communication 
being able to behave in a healthy way within that relationship, not necessarily about changing the other person. Right. If we go into a situation thinking, I'm going to change the other person, we are going to be sorely disappointed because all we have control over is ourselves. And it really takes trust that you and your partner or whoever you're in therapy with to trust that you're both going to work on yourselves and you will eventually end up getting your needs met by doing your own work, right? Because that means then your partner's also doing their work. So really, like, when you try to change your partner, it's actually taking you farther away from getting your needs met. Right, exactly. And just ethically, when we see, like, couples or families, we normally require each party to be in their own individual therapy because work can't be done conjointly unless you're doing the work individually. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Both parties equally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, we hope this has been really informative just about attachment styles how that shows up in relationships how it can shift what shapes it and and what this can look like in therapy Before we wrap up, we just wanted to give our resource for the week. So this week, it's the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. It really talks about the different styles of attachment. Um, It gives the evidence-based information about attachment. And it helps you identify your patterns in your relationships so you can make healthier choices moving forward. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to the Behind the Blank Slate podcast. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as our Instagram. We now have an Instagram for Behind the Blank Slate, and our personal Instagrams, Teresa is at Teresa Brown Wellness, and I am at Therapy with Robin.